Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. This week, Clyde is teaching and wrapping up our series, Letters from God, Jesus' Words to His Church. And moving forward, the best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. If you're new with us here, particularly in this digital space, then we'd love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of the viewpoint, along with a prayer request form, so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may your hearts be open and expectant, because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Hello, friends. So great to be joined with us together here and those gathered online uh, in the presence of God uh, as we come together on this creation weekend which is a time, as Danny and Andrew referred to, a time when we recognize and celebrate one of the great works of God in Christ. As we celebrate in the church here his advent, his incarnation, and then his death and resurrection and the gift of his Holy Spirit, we also want to recognize and celebrate the wonder of what he brought into being through Christ himself. And this amazing world we live in. So before we turn uh, to our passage in the book of Revelation today, let's just take a few minutes to reflect on God's amazing creation. And let's begin right here on earth. Here's a picture. These are acacia trees in Africa. Now, scientists have discovered that they communicate with each other that they actually emit gases to alert other acacia trees nearby to produce this toxin tannin, which protects them from hungry animals that are grazing nearby. Isn't that amazing? Or how about you? Did you know that there are more life forms living on or in your skin, more more individual microbes than there are people on this planet. There are about a trillion different microbes from about a thousand different species on or in your skin. So more than a hundred times the number of humans on this planet. Makes you feel itchy, doesn't it? Or consider this, if you unraveled and kind of strung together all of the DNA in your body, you would be dead for one, but your DNA would span about 60 billion kilometers, reaching to the sun and back over 400 times. And then let's go beyond the earth. Let's just consider the wonder of this universe. I don't know if you know, but the fastest spinning objects in the universe, they are neutron stars. And they can rotate 700 times in one second. And in fact, they are so dense that one tablespoon of a neutron star, just one tablespoon, would weigh around 10 
billion tons. All right, last one. Kate, 96% of our universe is invisible. I mean, the planets, the stars, the asteroids, and objects that we can actually see, they make up only about 5% of our universe. So the remaining 95% of our universe is made up of either dark matter, which is about 27% of the universe, or dark energy, which is about 68% of the universe. So there's about 95, 96% of our universe we don't really even know about yet. So let me say, to those of you who are scientists among us, thank you for your work in discovering more about this incredible creation that God has brought into being. And there is so much more we are yet to know. So much more. Okay, so before we turn to God's word together, Let's pray to the one who brought all of this into being. Will you pray with me? In our gracious Father and Creator, as, as the psalmist prayed, we too pray. When we consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, we do ask, what is humanity that you are even mindful of us, O God? Thank you that you care for us. And thank you that you are here with us through your spirit. So I pray by your spirit and through the sword of your spirit, you would guide us in hearing from you today. So please lift up today the one who is the instrumental cause of creation, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray and all God's people say, amen. Amen. Well, we continue today in our study of the book of Revelation, and specifically looking at the letters from God, the letters from Jesus to seven churches in ancient Asia Minor, which are also really letters for us. They aren't letters to us, but they are for us. And the letter we're looking at today, it seems to be, I think, an especially timely one for the church, for the body of Christ, for us in North America. I mean, among the seven churches of Revelation, Laodicea has the sad distinction of being the only one of which Christ has nothing good to say. I mean, whereas Jesus' letter to the church in Smyrna that we looked at last weekend had only praise and no rebukes for that church, the letter to Laodicea is one only of rebuke. And it really contains the most blistering reproach in Jesus' seven letters, which makes us ask, why? So let's read it together. If you turn with me to the book of Revelation, I hope you have your Bible or Bible app with you. We're in Revelation chapter 3, and as we come to it, remember, friends, this is the Word of God. And let's pick it up in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So all those titles are referring to Jesus, who is the beginning of God's creation. And just to make certain we're clear on that, that doesn't mean that Jesus was the first thing created. As the ancient Aryans held and currently as our friends who are Mormons hold. 
This means that Jesus was the originating source of creation through whom God brought all of this creation, all the universe into being, as John 1 and Colossians 1 explain. And that Jesus says to his church, verse 15, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. You know, you might have noticed that this letter starts with a very vivid image, doesn't it? Verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, that word spit is actually a fairly gentle translation of the original wording here because that word translated as spit in the original Greek is a Greek word emeo. Want to say that with me? Emeo. Now, we get our English word emetic from that Greek word. And you might know that an emetic, for one, is a medicinal substance typically used to induce vomiting. Like Ipecac, if you ever use that, I don't know if we're still supposed to, but maybe you did. So emetic, it literally means to make vomit. So Christ is saying here that this Laodicean church makes him want to vomit. Can you imagine being the church of Laodicea and reading this? I mean, it is an intense, evocative metaphor. And so we appropriately want to ask, why does this church make Jesus sick? Well, in this text that we just read, the Spirit says there are two things, really, that make Jesus want to wretch, that make him want to spew them out of his mouth. So let's look at those two things. And the first reason for this, I think we could say, is the church's complacency. Their complacency. And by that, not meaning, okay, they just need to work harder. They need to be busier. No. It means that they were complacent in really reaching out to the world and in living out and declaring Christ's kingdom. I mean, look at this, verse 15, Jesus says, I know your works. Now, just pause here for a second. Just be sure, by works, Jesus isn't talking about our jobs or their jobs or vocation, but he's speaking of their outward expressions of faith. Okay, so let's read that again. I know your works, and in these outward expressions of your faith, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold nor hot. Or hot. 
So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Okay, so we read that and you wonder, so what does that all mean? Well, it was fairly common years ago, actually when I was growing up, to hear teachers interpret Jesus' statement here as if Jesus was saying, okay, church, either be on fire for me and sold out for me or be cold, far and distant from me. Just don't be in the middle. Just don't be lukewarm. Don't be wishy-washy. I mean, that's how this passage was commonly taught. But you think, does Jesus really want us to be far and distant from him? No. So what then do Jesus' words here mean then? Well, archaeological discoveries in the region of Laodicea really help us grasp what Jesus is saying here. Because here's a bit of context and background to really help us understand this hot and cold water metaphor. And, and so what we want to do today, as we've talked about before in this series, let's take this text, let's take this letter to Laodicea before we apply it to us in Calgary. That's what we want to do today. Now, let's remind ourselves where this is. Laodicea, again, it was in eastern Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. It's there with the red lettering on the map there. Now, here's the picture of some of the existing remains from that ancient city of Laodicea. And, and really, this was the main boulevard or artery that flowed through the city. And, and you know what that boulevard was called? The Cardo. That, that's what it was called. And, and really, understand, that was kind of the same design of almost every ancient city in the Roman Empire. Because the Cardo in almost all of these cities, it was really kind of the central boulevard or artery of the city, and it would go north and south, and it's really where the life of the city took place. So homes, as you can kind of see with the remains there, homes, workplaces, were off of the Cardo. So the Cardo was where the people gathered, it's where they met, it kind of interacted, socialized. And really, in addition to the synagogue, if a city even had one, the Cardo was also where followers of Jesus would meet and interact with the community. And, and just so you know, that's why we call our main artery out there in our lobby the cardo. And, and that's why, if you want to, as you head out from here, if, if you look at the carpet out there, you see it's designed as a pathway going north and south with our different places of ministry, our classrooms, prayer room, library, kind of branching off of it. Okay, so that's Laodicea. Okay, now, there was another city that was about 10 kilometers just to the north of Laodicea, and it was called Hierapolis. And you can literally see Hierapolis right from Laodicea. And the Apostle Paul refers to the church there in Hierapolis in Colossians chapter 4. And Hierapolis was and still is the home of just some magnificent hot springs. In fact, when a group of us were in Heropolis a number of years ago, it was a really cold, rainy day. But you could walk out into these very warm, soothing pools of water that flowed out of the hot springs, and these pools formed around the kind of calcium carbonate overflow there. And if you looked up at these from the valley below, it, it looked as though snow had fallen along the ridge. Just a stunning scene. Now, 2,000 years ago, these hot springs were famous all across the Roman Empire. 
So the emperor had a town built there, and he called it Heropolis, which in the Greek means holy city. Because the Romans viewed that place as a sacred place. That's how they saw it. And it was partly because the waters there were so therapeutic, unusually so, and it was also because they were so rare, just so beautiful. So sick people would be brought from really all over Asia Minor in the Roman Empire to bathe in the Heropolis hot springs. And the thing is, people still flock to them today. So in that day, Heropolis became known as a place of healing. So people who were sick or who had been wounded, maybe they were diseased or even crippled, they would be brought to Heropolis and would there receive some relief. So it was this unusual healing place. That was to the north. Okay, now 16 kilometers to the southeast of Laodicea was the city of Colossae. Now Paul's letter to the Colossians is written actually to that city. And if you recall, that letter mentions Laodicea a number of times in the book. So these three cities there, they were all found in the same river valley, all connected there. Now Colossae, in contrast to Heropolis, was the home of cold springs. And it has these underground springs that would bubble up and offer this cool, cold spring water. So the water there, it was wonderful to drink. It really wasn't that day. It was kind of like the Perrier or Evian water of that time. All right. So Laodicea then was right in the middle between the hot springs to the north and the cold springs to the south. And as we'll see, Laodicea was a very proud city. But the water in the city of Laodicea, although it was drinkable, was quite hard. Not nearly as good as Colossae's. But the Laodiceans had money. They were very wealthy. So they built these two long aqueducts, one up to Heropolis in the north, and the other one, a second one, down to Colossae to pipe in the water from these two cities. And these aqueducts were discovered by archaeologists actually not all that long ago. So really in previous centuries, Bible scholars didn't understand about this. Now, understand that the continued problem for Laodicea, though, was that by the time the water from Heropolis and Colossae was piped to their city, you can guess, can't you? The hot water wasn't so hot. The cold water wasn't really cold. All of it was tepid. It, it just wasn't good. It was lukewarm. And because it had come through these aqueducts, it was also just very heavily laden with these undesirable minerals, which made its flavor just kind of revolting. It tasted something like sulfur water. Oh, that is so good. Love that sulfur water. And that repulsive water was really part of what proud, wealthy Laodicea became known for. Which you can imagine, it really became a sore spot for the city's pride because they knew people were thinking, Laodicea, your water stinks. All right? So all of that is the context for Jesus saying, Laodicea, be hot or cold. So really, in light of the context we've just noticed, we can then understand that what Jesus is actually saying is, church, 
if you'll let me, I will use you to bring healing to your world. I mean, sometimes you'll be kind of this oasis of cold water because people are dying of thirst. They're just driven by these unsatisfied desires. And they don't even know what they're thirsty for. So the Spirit is saying to the church, really to us, as Jesus did in Matthew 10, so church, you can offer a cup of cold water in Jesus' name by the way you live, in your compassionate works, and then by what you say to point people to the hope of creation, which is Jesus. You can be this cool source of refreshment for a parched world. And my word, do we live in a parched world? But also, church, Jesus is saying, there can be times where you can be the source of the hot healing waters to those who are suffering around you. As one writer puts it, Jesus is saying, sometimes people are just beat up. Sometimes they're wounded. Sometimes they're sick in their hearts. Sometimes they're lame in their spirits. So you can be for them a community of healing. You can bandage up the broken. Among you, they can be safe. They can be made whole. So church, you can be like these hot therapeutic waters. So church, be cold and refreshing. Be hot and therapeutic. But whatever you do, don't just stand in the middle and do nothing. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be tepid. That's good for nothing to the world around you. Okay? So let's bring that here. Because the Holy Spirit says to us, Southview, you are it. You are God's plan for where you are in this city, in your neighborhoods, in this world. So the encouragement is that every day by the power of the Spirit, we are then to battle this complacency to which we are so easily drawn and live this way. Be the source of refreshment, of healing in our schools, work, neighborhoods, and home. And, and then, being mindful that Jesus then leads us out by the power of his spirit, and he truly, he turns us loose to be his instruments of peace, of grace, of healing, love, to be his servants on mission. And understand that the key to all of this is that when we do go out into our world, the Holy Spirit's already there, Right? He has already been at work in ways we don't even realize in the lives of those we encounter every day before we even arrive on the scene. And that's Jesus' plan. But in Laodicea, they lost sight of that. So we then ask of us, so how do you think we're doing on this one? How are you doing on this? Is God prompting you in any way about this? You know, Andrew mentioned already, but just was so encouraged over the past few weeks to hear our church family's response again to our invitation to sign up to serve in, in one of our ministries that are either here or outside these walls. And again, hundreds of you already s serve here. But again, over these past few weeks, over 140 more of you have stepped, to say, stepped up to say, I want to serve. And for one, I want to say thank you for that, and also want to say that is a beautiful contradiction and fighting against complacency, living out his kingdom. 
That's one of the things that Laodicea battled. And then there's a second reason that Jesus was sickened by the Laodicean believers. And it really, you could say, was likely the cause of their complacency. And it was their attitude of just selfish pride, of pride. Kind of just their arrogance and self-importance that said, you know, we don't really need you, God. We can do it on our own. Our abilities are enough. We don't need to depend on the Holy Spirit. We, we don't really need to surrender to you every day. Don't, I don't need to fall on my knees in humility. I, I really don't need to submit to community, to accountability. I don't really need any of that stuff. I can really just walk this life on my own. And understand, when followers of Jesus declare our independence like that and say, no need. God says, it turns my stomach. And you really have to wonder, so what was it about the church at Laodicea that would tempt people to be so prideful to kind of just push God aside? What led them there? And to answer that, let's again learn a bit more about this church and their setting. So let's go back to the map, all right? Now, on this map, it's not lined out there, but where Laodicea was located, they were located just strategically in that part of the world. Because right by Laodicea, three of the major imperial Roman highways came together and intersected. So Laodicea became this hub of banking, of trade, of commerce, of entertainment, really for the entire region. They had a theater, they had this great stadium, they had a gymnasium, public bathhouse, they had a medical college, and that medical school developed and produced this highly valued ointment for weak eyes. And then on top of that, Dr. Paige Patterson explains that perhaps Laodicea's most prized product, though, was their beautiful black wool which was quite unusual because of its brilliant, glossy scene. So Sheen, that is. So Roman togas made with Laodicean wool, they became something of a status symbol in the empire. So really, over a very short period of time, Laodicea became incredibly wealthy. They were really an economic success story of that day. And by far, they had more money than any of the other cities that were addressed by Jesus in Revelation. By far. You know, as we saw last week in the city of Smyrna, really, really not far from Laodicea, if you remember, they prided themselves on their veneration and submission to Rome. Remember that? That wasn't the case, though, with Laodicea, which really began to pride itself on its independence from Rome. So in 60 AD, when the city was nearly destroyed by an earthquake, Laodicea refused Rome's offer of financial assistance because they had so much wealth and they didn't want to be dependent on or beholden to Rome. So picture this. The city actually told this new, pretty volatile Roman emperor, Nero, no thanks, we're good. Which was an extraordinary act of resourcefulness and hubris. No thanks, Nero. We don't need your help. We're rejecting you, Rome. How's that feel? 
You know, as one scholar notes, the Laodiceans were known as high-energy people, quite mobile, very creative. They were an entrepreneurial people. They thought big. They saw opportunity and seized it, which made all of them the envy of the region. And the attitude of the Laodiceans was essentially what's expressed in verse 17. I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. That's how they saw themselves. That was Laodicea. And in the middle of their affluence, in the middle of all this innovation, in this prideful city of Laodicea that didn't need government assistance, sat this very prideful church. We're rich. We prospered. We don't need anything. Isn't God blessed to have us serving him? And it turned God's stomach. And so Jesus says to them, hey, church at Laodicea, you have completely lost sight of your true condition. And what's your true condition? Verse 17 again. You are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Okay, now that's a human condition of everybody, really, apart from Christ. But prideful people often don't perceive it or see it. And Jesus says, that's your true condition. But he also says, but I don't want you to stay that way, church, because I treasure you, I love you. And so Jesus says, I will counsel you if you let me. I will eat with you and you with me. Okay, so remember what we've learned about Laodicea and listen again to Jesus' offer to them. Because in verse 18, Jesus says this. He says to them, forget about the gold that you're so proud of that you hold on to. I counsel you to buy from me gold that's refined by fire so that you may be truly rich. Money's just temporary, Jesus says. Don't let it fool you. Get gold that's going to last. And 1 Peter 1 tells us, using the very same imagery, that that refers to gold, the gold of genuine faith in Christ. That is what's truly treasured. And then Jesus says to them, oh yeah, I know all about your clothes, Laodicea. I know about this black wool that you're famous for, but I'll provide far more stunning garments for you to wear. Verse 18, I'll provide white garments, cleansed garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And then Jesus adds, for those of you living in the city of wonder drugs, for your eyes, let me kind of do a spiritual laser surgery on you because you're so blind to your need and your arrogance and your fragility and mortality. Verse 18, I will then give you salve to anoint your eyes so that you may truly see. I will help you see spiritual reality. Let me help you overcome this arrogant pride thing that has you so ensnared. So you think this could be a word for us? Anyone struggle with this kind of complacency with pride? I mean, ever find yourself depending on self so often that you really get blind to your inadequacy apart from Christ? I'm pretty sure that's true of many of us. I know it's true of me at times. And friends, in many ways... I think it's safe to say that we live in a contemporary Laodicea. Wouldn't you say? That's where we live. 
so perhaps we really need to confess our pride in, in kind of specific ways. Maybe for you that pride's expressed in prayerlessness. Or maybe it's in clutching on to gold. Or maybe it's judging people by worldly standards. Or, or maybe it's being fueled by wrong ambition. Or, or maybe it's even wanting to hold on to hurts and resentments. So could Jesus be coming to us today, to you today, like he did to this church, these Christ followers at Laodicea saying, South you, I am standing at your door knocking. If you'll just open up, I will come in. You know, maybe you've done, never done that personally before. So for you, if you just open up the door of your life and say, God, okay, that's me. I confess, I repent of my sin. I'm not sufficient to make things okay between you and me. I, I want to open the door of my life to Jesus as my Lord. And friends, I do invite you to call out to Christ, even right now, just in a silent prayer in that way. But I want to be sure we don't miss this. Jesus' invitation here in verse 20 it's not primarily expressed to those who don't yet know Christ. Jesus is speaking here to his church, to his children, to those who have already professed to be followers of Jesus. And he's saying, I want you to be clear on this. I mean, you say you're a follower of me. You say your faith is in me. But let me tell you, I am standing on the outside of your life, Christian. I am standing at your front door, Southview, waiting for you to truly open the door for me and let me in. You know, and, it, and if you're wondering what is God's heart in this, just listen to the very next vision, the very next unveiling in this book of Revelation. Because in Revelation 4.1, it says this. John sees, and after this I looked, and behold, what was there? A door standing open in heaven. That's the heart of our God. John sees the throne of Jesus in heaven, around which he sees the elders falling down and worshiping. And what do they declare together? Verse 11. Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen. He's knocking on our door. He's knocking on the door of your heart. So how do you respond to him? Can I give you a moment to do that? Will you bow your heads with me? And before I pray, I just want to prompt you, give you a moment to listen to and respond to Jesus. And let me prompt you with these questions we often ask around here. Can you reflect on this? What is God saying to me? Is God prompting you in some way right now? What is God saying to me? Okay, and then that critical second question. What then am I going to do about it?
If he's prompted me in that way, what am I going to do about it? Okay, then a third question. So who will I tell regarding question two? Who will I tell how God has prompted me, how I'm going to respond in accountability? And Father, I mean, we confess that we often have the attitude of the Laodiceans. We far too easily fall into complacency and self-sufficiency. So, oh, Jesus, would you make yourself to us a living, bright reality where we are holding the door back in your presence, prompt us to open it. We want to open the door to you. We pray by your Spirit you would have freedom in this place in our lives even as we move into this week so your name would be glorified. This we pray to you, our Creator and King. And again, all God's people say, Amen. Amen. We stand with me, friends. So glad you could be here today. And again, if you are a newcomer or visitor, please come up and say hello. We'd love to meet you. We can go to our welcome, our newcomer center as well, just outside the door of the right. And invite you back next weekend, because next weekend we're starting a new teaching series in the book of Revelation, and it's called The Incomparable Christ. We are going to be lifting up, through God's Word, the wonder of who Jesus is. So I hope you can come back for that. And again, remind you, our gathering isn't over now. This is time to hang out together. Maybe welcome someone you haven't seen in a while. But as you go into whatever this week does hold for you, and God knows what will hold for you, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you this week. And may he lift his countenance on you and give you his incredible shalom, his peace, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's walk in that grace. Amen.